Hello to our Pleasant Green Church family and listeners at large. Uh, We pray the peace and comfort of God be upon all. This is Minister Leonard Harris. And again, uh, it is our pleasure and privilege to come before you to share the word of God with all of us and uh, to pray that from our discussion of the word of God, that we would actually be equipped to be better lights and stewards of the word of God in this troublesome world that we see daily. So uh, this is our lesson, lesson number six for October the 8th, 2023. It's out of our Faith Pathway Study Guide, and this is Unit 2, entitled, Faith Triumphs, Law Fails. And our title for this particular lesson, uh, lesson number 6, is Finding Life and Freedom. Our devotional reading is from the book of Jeremiah, the 7th chapter, verses 1 through 15. Uh, Our background scripture is from the book of Romans, the 7th chapter, verses 1 through 25. And then our printed passage is from the book of Romans, the 7th chapter, verses 1 through 12. And our key verse for uh, this lesson is, Now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And that is the King James translation. And our NIV translation reads, Now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Our lesson's aims are better comprehend Paul's teaching concerning the role of God's laws in guiding our lives in the right direction. Listen to the Spirit's prompting of our conscience, convicting you to sin. And to evaluate and renew your commitment to accepting God's guidelines for doing right. And this lesson has uh, two parts to it. Uh, The first part, Romans, the seventh chapter, verses one through six, entitled, No Longer Bound. And then the second part, 
again, Romans, the seventh chapter, verses seven through twelve. And it is headed with the law's value. So no longer bound, verses 1 through 6, and the law's values, verses 7 through 12. And as always, before we begin to unravel the word of God, found in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, we will ask for the Spirit of God to indwell with us and to lead and guide us as we participate in this lesson. Heavenly Father, we thank you once and again for this opportunity that you have afforded to us that we gather ourselves together in one accord to study your word and then to derive from the study those things that you would have us to know. And Father, we ask that uh, we don't find ourselves just caught up in the ritualistic practice of reading scripture and uh, just reciting it, uh, but we ask that you would compel us by your spirit that that which we learn will equip us to undo those things that keep us bound and are impediments to us becoming what you actually intended for us to always be. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus, and for his sake we ask it. Amen. Okay, the beginning of our lesson, uh, starting with verses 1 through 6. And uh, as we are going through the verses of our lesson, we're trying again to understand uh, the task before Paul uh, as a part of one of our lessons aims, uh, which is uh, to gain an understanding of Paul's teaching concerning God's laws and then how through the understanding of God's laws, how that helps us to apply it to the guidance in our lives going in the right direction. And so in the first verses of our lesson, I think it is key to uh, identify um, the very first verse, which uh, reads, uh, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And then to drive that point home, Paul uh, recognizes or Paul utilizes a union that is common to man and woman and he uses the 
vowing and the practice of marriage. And he says, for example, the law, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, and I'm reading from the NIV, verse 3 says, So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. And also, if the husband has sexual relations with another woman, he is called an adulteress. Uh, we remember the uh, act that was brought before Christ that a woman was found in the act of adultery. And so the Pharisees uh, tried to propose this as uh, would say you and uh, trying to kind of entangle Christ in what should be the response. Uh, they were ready to stone the woman to death, but they said she was caught in the act. So therefore, why wasn't the man brought also? So the law applies to both genders and not just to one. But it reads and it says, but if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, this is verse 4. You also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, a key point here is to identify the relationship of what our connection or how are we bound to a uh, particular institution or to a particular ordinance um, based upon the presence or the activity of that ordinance and how it is enforced and uh, as uh, how it is applied and to what extent. And here the text is identifying that this is based upon as long as that individual in the vow of marriage is alive, both parties are held under the law and the vows of the marriage as long as the parties are alive. But once one of the spouses dies, the other one is no longer bound by that same group of agreements in the marital contract. So once one party dies, the other is now free. And then if they choose to engage in another marriage vow with someone else, they are no longer bound to the constraints 
of their first spouse, but they are now free from the connection of the first marriage to now engage in the fruits of the second marriage. So it says, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And one of the points that we need to look here is because our attention should be focused upon Christ, the second Adam, the life-giving spirit, and not the first Adam, who was a living, who was a uh, life-giving person in the natural. But our focus is to be geared towards uh, not just the natural man, but the spiritual man. And so in verse 4, where it says that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit for God. So here, it makes the distinction of we are bound to something as long as it is in effect. But once that has died, we are no longer held to that same contract will no longer it no longer has any legal ramifications upon us but now we are renewed and we are joined to a newness in contracts a newness in agreement a newness in our uh uh, behavior and in our living we are now attached to a new spouse and that new spouse is identified in Christ who was raised from the dead so in our lesson it's it spoke uh, in the first commentary it, it talks about how Although marriage is a lifelong relationship, the wife is bound to her husband only as long as he lives. If she lives or if she leaves her husband for another man while he still lives, she becomes an adulterer. However, if her husband dies, she is free from that law to become another man's wife without disgrace. Likewise, as death breaks the marriage bound, death to sin breaks the believer's relationship to the law. In this application, or in this analogy, Paul reverses the situation. So let's listen here to 
how this is actually explained in the commentary. It says it is the wife, and in parentheses identifies the personage here as the believers. It is the believer who dies and not the husband. The believer has died with Christ and is freed from the law because of this new union with him. They can freely enjoy the benefits and responsibilities of a transformed life. So, again, we are discussing that which brought about a form of death and that which exemplified the experiences of life. And so, as we uh, read further into our lesson, uh, we want to keep in mind that we are, by the grace of God, we are no longer under the law, but we also do not use that as an occasion or we don't use that as a opportunity that we have no regard whatsoever for God's law. But we recognize that through the law, we identify that we could not live in total compliance with constantly, just as the Pharisees often sought Christ to try to entangle Christ by violating some part of the law. But Christ, when he gave his first message, he didn't say that the law of God was upon him. He said that the spirit of God was upon him. And he was led to do the things and to fulfill his ministry based upon the presence of the Spirit of God being upon him and not the law of God. Even though we know that Christ taught us that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so... As we look at our lesson, uh, we are looking at something that I feel uh, we give too much attention uh, or we neglect to fulfill the comparative of uh, the one uh, focus which we many times uh, give too much acknowledgement or credit to. And in our lesson, uh, the comparison between the natural man and the spiritual man is raised. And it speaks about the natural man and the attributes thereof. And then in comparison to the spiritual man. And what we see in the distinction between the two is, is that one is constantly being uh, in a contradiction uh, 
of not being able to fully be expressed. That would be the natural man always being constrained and contained by natural law. But we spend more time talking about the first Adam and talking about how all of humanity has just been cursed and has just been under this heavy burden of the sin uh, act of Adam and how that has just ruined mankind uh, forever and thank God that he sent his son Christ Jesus to afford us all an opportunity to excuse ourselves uh, from this sin act that has just captivated us so much. But the scripture clearly states to us that there is a natural man, but there is also a spiritual man. And if we would give the same attention and the same fervor and give the same commitment that we constantly give regularly to all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yes, that is true, but that's the past. And if we are looking for improvement, if we are looking for development and moving on from the past, then we can't continue to just linger, constantly discussing about Adam when we say we are followers of Christ. Now, in verse 4, because we're talking about the distinction between uh, the one that dies and the one that was resurrected from death and lives, Christ. And so I know uh, for the scholars that in 1 Corinthians in the 15th chapter, it's speaking of the resurrected body. But there's some inference here which applies. And I want to share that. Uh, it says... In the 42nd verse of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, it says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. Again, we want to connect this to uh, verse 4 where it talks about to him who was raised from the dead. And we want the attention to be focused here as to uh, the difference uh, in corruption and incorruption or mortal and immortality or natural and spiritual. And it says the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Verse 44 says, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. 
And there is a spiritual body. And it is written, the first Adam became a living being or a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So, again, as we're looking at the practicing of the law and then what moves us on beyond that uh, brings us into the distinction and comparison between the two realities. One is that natural man. The other one is the spiritual man. And what I offer again is that just as we acknowledge that there is a natural body, just as great as our commitment is to recognize the natural body, we also have to give proper credence, credit, and acknowledgement to the fact that there also is a spiritual body. And much of our time, if we would be honest and just listen to the teaching and listen to the messages that we've heard down through the years, we have a preoccupation with always acknowledging our sinful nature and neglecting the responsibility to also combat that with our spiritual nature. And so I just want to uh, lift that to bring that out in our lesson. And then our second part of our lesson says the law's values. The law's values. And it, I want to read through this so that uh, we can digest what Scripture says. And then I just want to add a couple of things to refer to. And, uh, and then we will close on this lesson. Uh, I'm going to read uh, from the NIV uh, verses 7 through 12. And uh, there's a part uh, in verse 8 that I will share uh, from the King James Version uh, along with the NIV. And verse 7 says, uh, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would have not known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So here, Paul is explaining and uplifting that the law was serving to instruct us on what we should not do. But in the process of the law acknowledging or in the process of the law 
guiding and instructing us on what we should not do, it also conveyed to us what then was unacceptable. So by the law saying, thou shall not covet, thou shall not have desires for thy neighbor's belongings, thou should not want to take the belongings of our neighbor for ourselves. So by the law saying that this was not acceptable, that this was uh, uh, abhorred by God, or this was frowned on by God, then that also informed me by it telling me that this is something you should not do, it also informed me that, oh, so this is wrong. So when I found myself being attracted to something that was not mine, that belonged to someone else, now I realized I had a flaw. I had a fault. So the law made us recognize the failure of ourselves. Now, when we, when we uh, really address this, I want to bring verse 8 in here. Because it says, by sin taking occasion by the commandment, it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. When I didn't know what was wrong or what was frowned upon, I, the sin had not been identified. So it was dead because I didn't know uh, what's wrong or unacceptable by God and what's right and is acceptable by God. But by acknowledging and being informed by the law, now I knew, oh, this, this is not good. I shouldn't do this. Uh, but, so the law says that it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. And concupiscence is a strong desire. It's like uh, intensified attention, attraction to something. And so when we recognize what's going on in the world today, we realize that all manner of evil and corruption and ungodliness, unrighteousness is so pervasive. In fact, we recognize we are living in a time where as it is often said, right is wrong and wrong is right. And there is no fear of breaking the law anymore. In fact, uh, it is almost a badge of honor in some cases. Some people uh, will... Uh, undergo the consequences of breaking law to show loyalty to certain individuals or to certain acts to show loyalty to that which is corrupt 
just so that they are in fellowship with the attractions, the lust, and also uh, uh, with the uh, affiliation that comes from doing that which is ungodly. And so uh, when we look at the concupiscence, where it says that it, it produced in me every kind of coveting, uh, apart from the law and everything that was ungodly. Now, uh, uh, to, to bridge the connection between the law and the spirit, since we also recognize that Christ came to fulfill the law, but not to destroy it. And what caused Christ to fulfill it? His spiritual anointing from his father being led by the spirit. So I wanted to uh, just uh, put some real life applications uh, to this uh, concupiscence and it uh, bearing forth um, uh, these uh, strong influences of um, that which is unacceptable, wrong, unlawful, illegal, or what have you. Uh, it says concupiscence is a strong desire or attraction. And so here, when uh, I was in high school, I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, we had a uh, seminar uh, one day, and uh, we met in the assembly hall, and police officers were present. And at that time, uh, there was like, uh, uh, and uh, this was um, around uh, 72. And at that time, uh, there was a lot of uh, drug trafficking, such as it is today. But uh, there was a pervasiveness of drug usage at that time, uh, young people experimenting with uh, different types of drugs. And so the school brought police officers in and they had a chart and the chart was about, uh, oh, it was about 30 inches by 30 inches. But they brought this chart in and they had all of the drugs that were prevalent during the time. They had acid, they had LSD, uh, they had marijuana, they had uh, cocaine, they had uh, uh, powder uh, cocaine, crack cocaine, they had uh, heroin. Uh, they had a list uh, of the actual drugs posted on a board. Uh, and uh, they gave the actual, uh, um, like the actual drug names 
of these products. And then they had the street terms that were used for them. And then they also had uh, what the cost, how much the drugs were selling for on the street. And then they had how the drug affected different parts of your body and what was the long-term use effect uh, to your brain and to different organs of your body, so forth and so on. And so the purpose was was to inform young people about the effect of illicit, illegal drugs. And uh, this is why you should not take these drugs. This is what it could do to your brain. This is what it could do to your heart, so forth and so on. And uh, the uh, street value of it and, and what have you. Uh, at the end of the seminar, and as uh, the young people broke out from the seminar, and uh, we went to lunch, and I could listen to the questions and the conversations that were going on, and I realized that the purpose that the police, the intentions that the police had, and maybe the school administration had, by informing us of the dangers and the damage of using the drugs, actually went 180. It flipped to the other side because the conversations was, is that, well, I don't think I'm going to do uh, any of that uh, PCP. Uh, but, you know, uh, when he was talking about uh, the marijuana, you know, he just said that that was just kind of like a hallucinant. Uh, it it just caused you to, like, dream and, and, and daydream and drift and hallucinate things. And, and I, well, I definitely ain't going to mess with the acid. And no, no, not that heroin and stuff and plus you know they so i could tell from the discussions we were having that the purpose that the police officers and the administration sought to uh uh, uh sought to achieve that that was not the reaction that we received from the students who were in the assembly hall so, uh, again, concupiscence, a strong desire, it's an attraction. And so when we, when we think about how things are presented, there's one measure to, in presenting it, to try and prevent the end result. But sometimes that's not fully conveyed. And uh, as a result... So when the scripture was talking about that it produced all manners of concupiscence in me, it produced all manners of evil practices and behaviors, um, there was one intent that was not actually accepted along the same guidelines that it was presented. So uh, the verses 9 uh, forward tell us that uh, once I was alive apart from the law but when the commandment came sin sprang to life and I died I found that every commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death for sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment, 
put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Now, I want to share something here, and we will close, about for seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. But then it concludes and says, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. How do we have this? Like, it seems like uh, there's a conflict going here. Verse nine or verse 10 says that I found that uh, the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Then if it brought death, then how is it still holy and the commandment is righteous and good? I'm sure that we all uh, remember this uh, phrase. And uh, uh, this is a poster that actually sometimes we find in school settings. Um, but uh, I'm sure that many of us remember uh, the poem that was uh, titled, Everything That I Needed to Know About Life I Learned in Kindergarten. And I just wanted to read some of those things because sometimes when we have disregard for law or requirements or uh, certain expectations that are set before us, sometimes when we have disregard for them, uh, we missed out on what the intention was and what were the long-term effects. If those things were adhered to, if those things were practiced, then how would it have conveyed different behavioral practices and different attitudes and different behaviors? So I want to read this here. Uh, the point starts off, it says, share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, don't take things that aren't yours, say you're sorry when you hurt someone. Wash your hands before you eat. So when when we begin to talk about laws and regulations and expectations, what is wrong with saying share everything? Or are we all just kind of grouped into uh Gain as much as you possibly can. And it's all about me and not about you. And uh, forget those that are suffering or are misfortunate. Uh, that's on them. Uh, have we become so, uh, so impressed uh, with the acquisition of things that we've lost our concern for our brothers and sisters. 
uh, have we become so materialistic minded that we don't care about the fellow man and then yet wonder what's happening in our world. How is humanity suffering at the rate that it is? What's wrong with putting things back where you found them? What's wrong with teaching our kids to be responsible and uh, when you walked into this room, uh, look at where everything was located. When you leave, put everything back like you found it. When you walked in here, you felt the wholesomeness of, wow, oh, wow, look at, oh, this, everything in here looks beautiful. Then return the beauty that beheld you when you walked into the room. What's wrong with teaching our children to be responsible and clean up behind yourselves? And then, why is it that uh, it's become, well, the strong shall devour the weak. And so then, just take, if you see something you want, and the person who owns it, the person it belongs to, is not strong enough to keep it, then, if you're stronger, just take it. Take what you want. So what what is wrong with those uh, lifelong uh, ec, uh, lifelong sayings that were contained in everything I needed to know about life I learned in the kindergarten. So I just wanted uh, to share that and. I want to lift one other thing uh, because uh, this also has to do with uh, the understanding of the law. And I will be done. But in your leisure, if you would read uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, the second chapter, verses 11 through 14 in your leisure that speaks to uh, the natural and the spiritual. But also, if you return to the fifth chapter of uh, fifth chapter of Romans, the fifth chapter of Romans, and if you would uh, read from the twelfth verse, from the twelfth verse, through to the 15th verse in the 5th chapter of Romans. And I was sharing this. There was a movie that came out years ago and it was called The Gods Must Be Crazy. And it was about some people who someone chose to give them the tag of being primitive. They were so-called primitive people and they were referred to in the movie as Bushmen as Bushmen. And they were people who just wore animal skins. But at the onset of the movie, when it started, it's, it came out and it said that these people were so entombed with the Spirit of God. They were so connected to the Spirit of God 
that in their tranquil setting, they had no judges. They had no police officers. They had no prisons. There was certain language that we use on a regular day-to-day -day that didn't even have place in their society. And I lift that because in the fifth chapter of Romans, it talks about the sin, of course, of Adam. And it says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. And we know that the transgression of Adam was disobedience. He violated the expectation, the regulation, the law that God set before him. And so, but here in the fifth chapter of Romans and in the 14th verse, it says that sin reigned over even those who had not sinned according to the transgression of Adam, according to the disobedience of Adam. And so I lift this because, again, uh, we are talking about being free from the constraints of the law and being in tuned with the Spirit of God. Now, those who remember the movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy, realize that in the movie, even though these were very peaceful and tranquil people, that the only thing that brought forth confusion in their society in their community was a foreign object that was not familiar in their culture and in their setting. Something foreign, something outside of their cultural setting entered and caused confusion. And such as it is today that we have allowed foreign matter, foreign things to enter into our subconscious mind and spiritual being, and it has caused confusion. God bless you, and God keep you, is our prayer.